Well, some sermons uh, come out easily as I open up God's Word and reflect on it and, and pour out my heart on the paper and prepare to preach each week. Other sermons are more difficult. This is uh, one of the more difficult ones, knowing um, the news that will be shared today, the emotions in the room, the emotions in my heart as we uh, begin preparing to leave a place that's loved us so well. And I've been a bit nostalgic thinking back to the early days when we got here uh, as newlyweds in uh, May or June of 2017. And um, I was thinking this week about one of the first times I met many of you, and it was an ice cream social. Was anybody here for the ice cream social meet and greet? Okay, a number of you were. So we had an ice cream social, and uh, on the way, Emily and I were so nervous, we pulled over in the neighborhood up here, and we're just praying like, God, I don't know if we said help these people not be crazy or what, or help, <laughs> help them not think we're crazy, but we were just like, God, help us. And... Um, we didn't know. We didn't, you know, it was new. It was a transition. And so Pastor Stephen prayed over us, and then we took questions and answers and shared a little bit about ourselves. And uh, there was one person there. People were asking questions, and one person just gave a piece of unsolicited advice. And she raised her hand, and she said, I just have one thing I need to tell you not to do when you come here. So we're, like, listening. And she said, don't be boring. And... That was interesting. We weren't expecting that, but uh, ever since that day, I've done my best to try not to be boring and uh, to live into that. I don't know if I've lived up to that and been as exciting um, as, as maybe she expected me to be, but I've tried not to be boring. But that moment of honesty, that moment of authenticity kicked off our life together as a church. And soon after that, I did a listening tour. I did a listening tour where I went around to different people's homes. I went to the Moats home. I went to the Hinton's home. I met with the prime timers and met that that wild group for the first time. And I asked questions. I said, hey, the one question I asked everybody was, what's one thing I need to know about Harvest Point? And one of the things that came up over and over again is that people said, this church and the people here, the people are honest. The people are real. There's an authenticity here. What you see is what you get. And then in New Connections, when we're having our new membership class and we're asking people, hey, what drew you to Harvest Point or what was different about this church from the other ones you visited? It's the same answers. It's, hey, these people are authentic. These people are, are real. We like it that there's no pretense here. And this morning, I just wanna say, keep it up. I wanna give you a word of encouragement and say, keep being honest, keep being real, keep being authentic. And I wanna say that to you because I believe Jesus honors honesty and Jesus desires honesty. And so I want to give you that word of encouragement today. It's one of the things that I first loved about this church and Emily as well. And uh, we've been going through Matthew's gospel the last number of weeks. If you haven't joined us, there's reading plans at the exits. You can grab one. Uh, we'd love for you to, to continue with us as we get to the climax of, of Jesus's story according to the gospel of Matthew. And if you've been in the, in the gospel of Matthew, there, there's five main blocks of teaching. And the first one is the Sermon on the Mount. And there Jesus says, let your yes be your yes and let your no be your no. He says, don't make all these oaths and swear on all of these types of things. Just live honestly and speak honestly to other people. And then now, this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 23, where we begin the fifth block, the final block of Jesus' teaching. And there, he says something similar. There, once again, he tells his disciples, his followers, and the curious crowds around him, he tells them how he desires honesty and how he despises 
hypocrisy. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up there. That's where we're going to be looking. And now you might think that as Jesus is wrapping up his teaching and he knows soon he's going to the cross and he's going to die, rise again, and ascend into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. You might think, okay, you know, maybe he's going to give them some encouraging words or give them seven tips to the kingdom and how to live as resurrection people or seven powerful tricks for prayer or something like that. But he doesn't, he doesn't do anything like that. Instead, this, this section in Matthew's gospel, when you read it this week, you're going to find it's kind of challenging stuff. He talks about the end times. He talks about who's in the kingdom and who's out of the kingdom. He tells some parables that are, that are some of the more difficult parables to wrestle with. And then one of the things he also does is he gives seven woes to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And now, uh, we mentioned my son Patrick earlier. He's in what the pediatrician right now calls a word explosion. Uh, that means that he's just like saying everything that he hears from us. So Emily and I have to watch our language around him. Um, not, not that it's that bad, but like we have to watch our language around him, what we're listening to and all that kind of stuff. Because right now he will repeat anything. And one of the words he's picked up from me is the word whoa. And so we were at Hibachi and fire comes up and he says, whoa. Or a fire truck comes down the street and it kind of surprises him. He says, whoa. Or, you know, like a hawk will fly by and he says, Whoa, and I just want to let you know, that's not the kind of woe that Jesus is talking about here, okay? Patrick's woe is a woe of excitement, of astonishment. When Jesus proclaims this word, woe to you, he's using it in a very different way. Instead of being a word of excitement and surprise, it's a word that kind of conveys a sense of grief. Uh, a sense of lament, of judgment, and even rebuke when he says woe to you and Jesus gives these woes to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because as he's been doing his public ministry as he's entered into Jerusalem for the final days of his life what what he has found is that while as we sang earlier Jesus is the way the truth and the life there are people who, who don't want others to follow the way there are people who are not living the truth and there are people who are leading people away from life and instead are leading them towards death. And so Jesus, his heart is heavy and he laments over Jerusalem and he offers these seven woes and some tough words to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna look first in Matthew chapter 23 Verse 1, as Jesus begins this, this final teaching. Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they love, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So right here at the beginning, Jesus, I mean, he says, look, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they know Moses' law, which is good. They believe his law, which is good. They preach and teach his law, which is good. But he says, look, they're not living out his law. 
And that's not good. He says, instead of living out God's law as they teach it, instead, he says, they're kind of performing. And they're putting on a show. And here and elsewhere, he calls them out. He says, look, they go and they pray on the street corners in order to be seen by others. They fast and they moan and groan about how hungry they are in order to be seen by others. They, they give, and when they give, they make sure others see it because they want to be known and seen as holy. And there's this word here, you might not be familiar with it, phylactery. You want to say that with me? Phylactery. So this is a, is a religious object, and people still use them today, actually. Many faithful Jewish people use them. It's a little wooden box um, that contains uh, Scripture verses from the Torah that faithful Jews will wear on their head or strap to their arms while they offer prayers to God. And it's a way of, of, of centering themselves upon God's word. And Jesus here isn't saying like that's some bad thing or that's some horrible thing. But what he's calling out is, he says some people's phylacteries are broad or like they, they've built these bigger boxes so it looks like they are more holy than other people. They want people to think, wow, look at that person. They are super holy. They are super spiritual. And he says other people have long fringes. And so these are little tassels that they would have um, as they prayed, and it would help them as they prayed. And Jesus said, look, the tassels, they're not necessarily bad, but some people have extra long tassels, so you will think they are extra holy people. And he's calling this out. Eugene Peterson, in the message uh, translation of this passage, he says, look, Jesus isn't into fashion shows. He's not into all of this performance and all of this kind of stuff. And he doesn't stop there. He continues with these woes, and I'm going to summarize some of the woes, and we're going to read some of them. And the first woe, he says, is this. Woe to you, hypocrites, you keep people out of heaven. Woe to you, hypocrites, you seek converts, but then you corrupt them and make them carry heavy burdens. Woe to you, hypocrites, you worry about and split hairs regarding which oaths are okay and not okay when you really need to just live honestly and speak honestly. And then we get to the fourth woe. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He's saying, look, you're, you're majoring in minor things and you're minoring in major things. The major things are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And you're not doing those while you're focusing on all of these others. Then he continues, verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Then the final one, he says, Woe to you, hypocrites. You say that you wouldn't have persecuted the prophets of old like others did. He says, Look, the prophet of God is in front of you and he knows soon he will be killed and die a brutal death on the cross. Jesus says, woe to you. It's not exactly, you know, the feel-good sermon you might think he gives there at the end. 
And this word, it comes up over and over again. I don't, you, do you know the word I'm talking about? The word that he mentions over and over. It's hypocrite, right? And hypocrite is an interesting word because in the Greek usage of it, it was a word used to describe actors who would be on a stage who wore a costume or wore a mask. So it was a word that described someone who was presenting themselves as one way publicly to an audience while privately they were someone or something different. And Jesus is saying, look, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be someone who is performing for other people. Don't be someone who's presenting themselves one way in public, knowing that there's something else in private. Don't play those kinds of games. Jesus says, don't do that. And when you read the Gospels, it's easy to think like, okay, these are the bad guys. Jesus and his disciples, they're the good guys. And then we think, okay, hypocrites today. Yeah, I know a few hypocrites. And we think, okay, those are the bad guys or the bad girls. And we think, okay, but you know what? We're, we're, doing, we're doing okay. But I think the reason Jesus spoke these words with his followers and the crowds listening, and I think the reason Matthew included them in the gospel and that we have them 2,000 years later is because left to our own devices, our hearts will always tend to move towards hypocrisy. Our hearts, your heart, my heart, will always tend towards hypocrisy when we're left to ourselves. That's part of our sinful nature. When I think about hypocrisy, I think about a story from my childhood. When I was young in middle school, I went to a lock-in at a, at a local church. Jason, do you like lock-ins? Yeah, the students love lock-ins. The adults are like, man, this is kind of a nightmare. But we went to a lock-in, and it was at a local church. I'd never been to the church, and it was fun. You know, run around, eat pizza, have fun. It just smells gross in the room as we've all been together for hours and hours, sweating in our teenage bodies. And so we were all having fun. And this was a little more Pentecostal church in nature. And so it was like 2 a.m., and they're like, let's worship. And we're like, hey, cool, you know. So we go in the worship space. We're worshiping. We're praying. And... um. At one point in the service, I, we, there was chairs like these, and so I knelt down. I knelt down in the chair in prayer, and I had my arms on the chair, and I was praying like this. And I don't know how long it passed, but I woke up. I woke up. And the room was empty. There was nobody else in this room, in this church I'd never been in. And so I was like, oh, it was kind of disoriented. I didn't know, I didn't know what what time it was or anything. And so I began walking around the church and I, I found a room and, and everybody was eating pizza and like having a late night snack. And, and then people kept coming up to me, putting their arm around me. And they're like, man, we were praying with you. And somebody was like, you have the gift of intercessory. You know, you are, man, like the passion of middle schoolers these days for the lost. And, and uh, I, you know, I wanted to tell them that I had fallen asleep but it kind of felt good to be viewed as this super spiritual, super holy middle schooler who prayed maybe for hours while everyone else couldn't last many minutes at all. And so I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them, you know. I didn't tell them. But in that moment, I knew. I knew what I was doing. I knew that I was a hypocrite. 
that I was presenting myself publicly as one thing when privately in my heart I knew I was, I was just asleep and I, I couldn't last five minutes. That's the essence of hypocrisy. Or I think about another time I was in a city at a coffee shop. And you know when you're at a coffee shop and you kind of listen in or overhear people's conversations? There was a guy there and he looked like a salesman, politician type, very very polished. And he was talking to somebody and he said, you know, I'm running for office coming up in the city and we're in the Bible Belt. And he's like, I have to get the Christian vote. He's like, I got to get the Christian vote. So like, what church do you think I should go to? And so he was talking about like what church to go to to maximize the votes for his campaign. And it was very clear that, that he wasn't a believer. He had no interest in church or anything like that. But he wanted to present himself that way to other people in the church so that he could get their votes. I don't know if he won or not. Or this time of the year, I think about hypocrisy this way. I don't know if y'all see these things in stores. Um, if you zoom in on, on the camera, this is like very creepy chocolate bunny. But I don't know when you were little, when you got one of these and you were so excited. And then you bite into it and what? It's hollow. And you realize the outside, the outside doesn't match the inside. There's a gap. And so this morning, I think what, what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that, you know, on our own, I, I, I think... There's not a lot of hope for us. Like on our own, we're, we're never able to, to overcome this spirit of hypocrisy and live as honest and authentic people, people with a real faith in which our hearts, our minds, and our lives are all aligned together. I think that's the, the bad news. On our own, there's not a lot of hope. But the good news of the gospel is that when we understand God's love for us and that he loves us as we are and that he accepts us, and that we were created in his image. The good news of the gospel is when we realize that God loves us, we can stop performing. We can stop pretending. We can stop having to present ourselves one way towards other people to impress them because we have the love and favor of the one whose opinion really matters, God our Heavenly Father. So that's the good news is that God loves us as we are. And when we get honest before God and when we say, God, here is my sin. Here is my brokenness. Here are all the ways I can't live up to my own standards. Here are all the ways I can't live up to your standards. When we get honest before God and say, God, there is a gap between what I'm presenting and who I really am, the good news of the gospel is not only that God loves us, but it's also that God doesn't leave us where we are. That through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness for our sins. We have forgiveness for when we lie to others. When we live as hypocrites, we have forgiveness. But not only do we have forgiveness, when we pray and ask for God's forgiveness, he hears us, he forgives us, and he heals us. And when we have faith in Christ, his Holy Spirit comes and makes a home in our hearts. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to make a home in our hearts and to go to the closets, go to the junk drawers, go to those places that we don't want other people 
saying, when we allow the Holy Spirit to go deep inside of us, the Holy Spirit will cleanse us and renew us from the inside out. So that what we believe and who we are in our hearts is how we live with our hands and how we love other people in the world. The Holy Spirit enables us to have this authentic faith, this aligned faith, this honest faith. And Jesus tells us what that will look like to other people. He says in Matthew's gospel that it will look like love. That's what it's going to look like. He says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, that's that's what an honest faith, that's what an authentic faith looks like. Love. And so, this morning I'll close with this thought. When I was young, my, my grandmother used to buy my brothers and I Christmas gifts from um, a discount grocery store, Bell's Discount Grocery in Covington, Georgia. I don't know if you've ever been there. Fred Danes is nodding his head yes, okay? If you're a bargain hunter, it's a pretty good spot. And out front of the store, people from time to time, they would sell uh, bags and clothing and stuff like that. And so she'd always, for Christmas, get us Tommy Hilfiger uh, get us Nike bags and clothing and stuff like that. And even from time to time, she'd buy herself a Louis Vuitton bag. And, you know, from a distance, this stuff looked real, right? But then when you got up closer and you really began to investigate the logo and the print on the Louis Vuitton bag from the discount grocery store, you began to realize, you know, it's not real. This is, this is fake. And I just want to say this morning that for the last five years, I've had an up-close and personal look at, at you, at the church, at Harvest Point. And I want to say this morning that I'm grateful that you are not fake. I'm grateful that you have an honest hunger for God. I'm grateful that, that you authentically want new people to know Jesus Christ. I'm grateful that you don't just say, hey, we are a church that loves our pastor and loves other people. Like we have experienced it. Emily and I and Patrick, our family has experienced it. And I just want to say we're grateful because when we got up close and personal with you in the, the weddings and the funerals and the baptisms and the the sessions about hard things going on in your life. I've seen that, that you're real. That there's an authenticity here. That there is alignment. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. Jesus, he desires that kind of honesty. That kind of authentic faith. And I want to say, keep doing it. Keep living it out long after I'm gone. And I'm not gone yet, okay? I'm not gone yet. But this morning as we close in prayer, I want to I pray that that spirit continues here. And that if you're, you're thinking about your own life this morning, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to, to cleanse those inner parts of you that don't match the outer parts. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you stop pretending, stop performing, stop trying to please other people because you already have the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. So let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. God, for the many places this church has been, for the many people whose lives have been touched by it. God, for the the many, many people who've come up out of these waters of baptism over here. And for the funerals and the weddings and the times of worship, God, we, we give you thanks for this church family this morning. And God, we, we thank you that there is a realness here. There is an authenticity. We thank you that there is not a pretense in this room. And we pray that you would, you would let that continue in the days, the weeks, and the months to come. God, I pray that you would continue to cleanse our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit so that the love we have inside of us would overflow to people beyond us. God, help us continue to be a church that leaves the 99 for the sake of the one. Help us be a church that lifts your name on high. Help us be a church that is rooted in your word and your spirit. And exhibits the fruit of the Spirit to everyone around. God, I thank you for, for the years here. And I thank you in advance for the work you're going to do in the days and weeks to come. We ask all this in Christ's holy name. Amen.